Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so delighted that you have taken some time out of your busy weekend to be with us. And uh, as we start, I want you to imagine that uh, someone came into our service. It was a woman, and she sat next to you, and she had some earrings of a mushroom cloud. And you look over to her, and you ask, those are interesting earrings. What's that for? And she says, well, I'm celebrating the A-bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. How would you respond to that? You might move over a seat or maybe two seats. You might pray for her. Imagine tomorrow you drive into work, and as you're pulling into the parking lot, you see this new gate over the front door, and it looks like this. And you ask your boss, hey, what's with the new gate? And he says, oh, it says, to work brings freedom. It's like the gate at Auschwitz. We're celebrating the Auschwitz concentration camp. What's that for? Or imagine your college-age kid comes home and they say, Mom, Dad, I got a new tattoo. Oh, great. What is it? And they pull up their sleeve, and it's a picture of the electric chair. What would you say to that? Or imagine someone in this service is wearing a necklace, and at the end of the necklace is a little needle on it. And you say, that's interesting. What's that for? And they say, well, I just like the idea of lethal injection. All four symbols, if you saw them as a tattoo or a necklace or earrings or maybe in someone's front yard, you would say, that's weird. Or even, it's inappropriate. Why would you celebrate death? Well, to understand the passage we're going to look at this morning, you have to think about the way you feel about a tattoo of a cross or the way you feel about an electric chair as a tattoo. That's how someone would have felt about a tattoo of a cross. In the first century, the cross was used as a sign of torture, It was for the worst of the worst criminals. It was for slaves. It was for foreigners. And it brought a lot of shame. And so the way you feel about someone with a tattoo of an electric chair, that's how they would have felt about the cross. It was a symbol of death. And the Jews, they never crucified anyone. They needed to get approval from the Roman government. And it was not something that you talked about in public. In fact, it was something that was really improper to talk about because it was a symbol of pain, death, shame, and torture. And it actually took four centuries after the death of Jesus before the cross became a symbol that Christians began to draw themselves to. For most Jews and for most Jewish Christians, when they saw the cross, the thing that they thought about was their friends or their family members being crucified. It wasn't a positive symbol. So why is the cross so important to us as Christians? If you've ever wondered that today, we're going to answer that question today. But as we get ready to dive into our passage, 
I want you to understand three things that will really set the stage. I think these three things will bring you up to speed. The first thing is when we talk about the cross, we're talking about the good news. We're talking about the gospel. The good news is this. We are sinners. We were under God's judgment, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross, and he paid for our sin. That is the good news. Secondly, you need to know the priority of the Jews and Greeks. Here's their priority. The Jews, they wanted power. They wanted power because they wanted freedom from Rome. They no longer had that freedom. And the Greeks, they wanted wisdom. They wanted wisdom. They honored and they desired logic, rhetoric, and philosophy. And so they believed philosophy was one of the most important things ever. Third thing you need to know is the word foolish in this passage is from the perspective of the non-Christian. And so when, when Paul is using the word foolish, he's talking about the cross being foolish or the message being foolish or the messenger being foolish. And he's talking about it from the perspective of the unbeliever. So today, we're going to talk about what does it look like to live a cross-centered life, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And just to give you a, a quick recap, week one, we talked about this church in Corinth was a messed up church, and it was blessed by God. And then last week, Joel talked about unity in the church, that unity, if we're going to be a healthy, vital church and we need to strive for unity, and it's worth fighting for. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. So let's take a look at that. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you have a Bible with you, I would underline it. I would highlight this. I would circle it or put a box around it. That one verse summarizes the entire passage we're going to look at today. The cross is the power of God. That's the summary statement right there of everything we're going to talk about. If you fall asleep right now, get this one thing. The cross is the power of God. Don't fall asleep. All humanity is divided into two camps. Let me show you this. Next slide. First, to those who are perishing, they look at the cross and it's just folly. But to those who believe, they see the cross as the power of God. The cross divides people into those two camps, and that's it. The cross is the one area we ought to divide and find unity over. Why would they think that it's foolishness? Well, think about what the Jews wanted. The Jews wanted power. They were expecting a Messiah that would come in and conquer. The Jews were coming and looking for a Messiah who would put their foot on the throat of the Roman government. That's what they desired. That's what they were looking for. A Messiah who's going to come and conquer. Instead, Jesus was crucified. And so the Jews, they look at Jesus, a crucified Messiah, and they think that is an oxymoron. 
because the crucifixion signified a curse. Criminals were crucified. Slaves were, were crucified. The worst of the worst were crucified. The Jews, or the Greeks, I'm sorry, they're looking for hope. They're wanting wisdom. They're putting all of their hope in philosophy, rhetoric, logic. And so they saw Jesus dying on the cross as foolishness. In verse 17 and 18, Paul is contrasting man's word versus God's word. Man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. And he says these two wisdoms, they're coming and they're colliding together, but they can't be together. You're either going to put your hope in what man says and man's wisdom, or you're going to put your hope in God's word or his wisdom. And then verse 19, he says, let me explain. Let me explain. Verse, four, or verse 19, the word for. Let me explain. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So he asks these rhetorical questions, and he says, where's your wise person? In Corinth, they would have these auditoriums filled with thousands of people, and they would bring in the best of the best speakers. Think of like the best TED Talk presenters coming to speak, where their presentation was just as important as their message, and they would come, and they would listen to these people. This is how they would be entertained. They didn't watch Netflix. They weren't watching movies. There was no YouTube. It was coming to the arena and listening to the best orators from all over the world. And Paul says, where is that wise person? Where's that really good speaker? And then he says, where's the teacher of the law talking to the Jews? Where's your scribe? Where's the most intelligent religious leader? Where are they? He says, where's your philosophy? Where's your philosopher speaking to the Greeks? Where's your genius? Where's your apple genius now? Where are they? He's asking them, how do these things fit into the cross? And the answer is, they don't. They stand in logical opposition to the cross. Verse 21, he says, let me explain. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That's key. Those who believe. That's it. You can't come to know Christ through your wisdom, through your logic, through your abilities, through your skills, through your talents. It's to those who believe. Those who simply believe. You can't count on wisdom. You can't count on abilities. You can't count on power. You can't count on any of that. It's to those who believe. And so this is a divided church. And Paul is saying, look, it's not about your talents. It's not about your abilities. It's not about anything that you can do. The only thing that unifies us is the cross. So where do you put your faith in? Is it your abilities, skills, talents, logic, rhetoric, or are you putting your faith 
in the cross. That leads us to our first point. Biblical Christianity, it's not about being a good person. It's not about doing enough. Our salvation comes from the cross. That's it. Biblical Christianity says we need to be rescued from our sin. We need to go to the cross. The cross is what unifies us. And so many times we divide over the most petty issues. We divide over political issues. We divide over doctrinal things. And some of those, they're worth talking about. And when they're related and connected to salvation, then those are worth dividing over. But other than that, we are one church, many locations. We ought to be unified around the cross. Verse 22, he says, Jews, they demand signs. And Greeks, they look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Anyone ever stepped on a kid's toy? Feels great, right? So many mornings, I will wake up early in the morning to either go to the gym or get a jump on some things, and I'll try really carefully to be quiet, keep all the lights off, and lo and behold, I will step on a Lego. And the pain will shoot through my foot all the way into my brain, and I about fall over and die. And I strip and fall, and that is that little tiny Lego. It's amazing how that can cause so much pain and cause you to stumble and fall and think things that you ought not think and maybe whisper or mumble some things that you shouldn't say. That little tiny stumbling block. If you've ever stepped on a Lego, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And here, Paul's saying, the Jews and the Gentiles, they saw the cross as a stumbling block. Why? Because a stumbling block to the Jews, they wanted a conquering Messiah, but instead, they got a crucified Messiah. And the Greeks... They wanted a Messiah who would be a philosophical genius, and instead they got a self-sacrificing Messiah. And so the cross was not something that they expected, and it became a stumbling block to them. So Paul is saying, if you want to divide, draw a dividing line on what the cross divides on, salvation. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, you look at the cross, you look at Christianity, you'll say, that's foolishness. But if you've placed your faith in Christ, you see the cross, that is the power of God. That is the dividing line. Other than that, we need to be unified on the cross. That is the only thing that matters. Then in verse 24, he says, but... Here's the contrast. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks. It's like 
When you come into this world, we have these sunglasses that have been painted black, and you can't see anything, and that's all you know. And then all of a sudden, something happens in your life. God begins to work in your life, maybe through a conversation, maybe through reading his word, maybe through coming to church, maybe through coming through starting point, and all of a sudden, God begins to stir your heart. It's like those glasses come off, and all of a sudden, you see everything completely new as he transforms your life. That's what happens. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why? For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God opens up people's eyes. He softens people's hearts. That's why a few weeks ago when Jeff preached, we gave out these pray, invest, invite cards. I'm just going to give you a quick pro tip. Filling these out with a pen is not going to work. You need to use a Sharpie, all right? Because you will get really frustrated trying to etch this in with a pen, but we want to give you these tools. If you haven't gotten one of these or you lost it, they're back on the welcome desk. We want you to be praying for people who are far from God. And then as we begin to pray for people who are far from God, we want you to begin investing in those people. And then look for opportunities to invite them to take a next step. Maybe invite them to come to a service, invite them to lunch, invite them to have a conversation, and just start talking to them about your faith. Talk about the cross. Why? Because of what this verse says. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Any of your friends, any of your family members who are far from God, they need this gospel. So we look at human power, we look at philosophy, it has nothing on God and his message. The reason the cross is powerful is because it brings freedom from sin. It rescues us from sin. It brings us out of the darkness. It defeats the sin in our life. I know we all struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. And the cross is not only where we unify, but the cross is where we run to. And so when you struggle with sin, when I'm struggling with sin, when I'm tempted, when I'm overwhelmed, I run to the cross. I go to God. I walk into or I get on my knees and I enter into that throne room and I just pray and I talk to him about everything that is going on, what I'm thinking, how I'm tempted, what I'm struggling with, and I run to the cross. When you feel overwhelmed with guilt, when you feel overwhelmed with sin, when life seems to be spinning out of control, you can run to the cross. In fact, the reason you and I have access to God is because Jesus died on the cross. That's why it is the power of God. Verse 26 says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. This is a weird couple of verses here. And a lot of people take that and they misuse it to say, well, God just called you. God, God redeemed you because you were foolish. You really weren't very smart and you were kind of dumb, right? That's not true at all. But what Paul is saying is the world looks at us and says, you're probably not really smart, are you? And that couldn't be further from the truth. And the reason this people say that is because they look at us and they go, you know what, you don't really buy into our way of thinking. You, as a follower of Christ, we have a different worldview. We see God at work in our lives. We, see, we have different values based on Scripture. We believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in marriage. We believe that God created everything and spoke everything into the existence. And so people who are far from God, they look at us and they go, ah, uh, you're not really that smart. And the reality is, you and I, God uses the smartest, most talented people. In fact, at our campus, we have some of the most gifted ministry champions of all the campuses. We have some of the most phenomenal leaders, and I can't be more proud of what is going on here at our campus. I am geeked to be here. So God uses people, and the world just happens to look at us and say and think that we're weak. But then he goes on to explain this. Verse 29, he says, so that. Here's a purpose statement. The purpose is this, that no one can boast when we boast, when we brag, it's only on God. If you have gifts, abilities, talents, skills, God gave you that. So you come up with a great idea at work, God gave me that idea. You do phenomenal on an AP test at school, God gave you that ability. You're up here playing an instrument, that was God. You're working hard, you have the energy to focus that was God. Everything and anything that we are able to do, it's because of God. It's not me. It's not my abilities. Anything that I have came from him. Verse 30, he says, it is because of him that you are what? In Christ. That's your identity when you put your faith in Christ, your identity was radically transformed, and now you're in Christ. And look at who you are. You're righteous, holy, and redeemed, all because of the cross. That's what unifies us. So when God looks at you, the only thing he sees, if you've put your faith in Christ, is he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the holiness of of Christ, and he sees that Jesus redeemed you. He purchased you out of the darkness, out of sin, and he brought you into the light. That's who you are. 
verse 31. He says, therefore, in light of everything that we just talked about, what? Boast in the Lord. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why? Because you and I really couldn't do it. Anything that we've done is because of Jesus. And you and I are redeemed because of what he did on the cross. The cross, it allowed you and I to be reconciled to God. So when we win, it's because of the cross. When we win, it's because of the cross. God moved past all of the roadblocks and he kept us out of the darkness. He drew us out of the darkness and he rescued us from sin. Move on to chapter two, verse one. Here's what it says. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that, here's the purpose, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on what? God's power. He says, I came to you, and the only thing I talked about was the cross. Now, I don't think Paul literally only talked about the cross. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, Paul, did you see that game last night? No, but Jesus died on the cross. What he means is everything that I talked about, everything that I thought about, all of my intentions, all of my motives, they were all influenced by what Jesus did on the cross. Because of the cross, we ought to treat others differently. Because of the cross, we ought to filter how we see people differently. The third thing I want you to see today is our message should be about the cross. Our message should be about the cross. What if the cross began to change and influence how you saw and talked to your neighbor? What if the cross began to influence how you talked to and how you interacted with that coworker who was really, really annoying? Or that family member? Don't look to the side. What if the cross began to influence how we handled forgiveness? This week, one of the things I want you to talk about, either with your family or in your small group or with a friend is this. What would it look like for every area of your life to be influenced by the cross? What would that look like this week? What kind of things would you talk about? What kind of conversations would you have if every area of your life was influenced by the cross? We might have to look inside ourselves and go, okay, what needs to change this week? If when I go to work, if everything I did at work was going to be influenced by the cross, what would that look like? 
What would that look like at school? If you're a junior higher or a senior higher and you go to school, what does that look like to walk into your classrooms and have everything you do and say influenced by the cross? What would that look like at the grocery store? So how do we apply this? Number one, share the message of the cross. We want you to take one of these cards, fill it out. I want you to write someone's name on this card, someone that you know is far from God, and put it somewhere that you're going to see often so that you will be reminded on a mirror, on a dashboard, by a computer, on your refrigerator, and emphasize the good news, not spiritual rituals. What do I mean by that? When you talk to people, you don't have to talk about coming to church and reading your Bible, but talk about the good news, how Jesus set us free from sin. Reading your Bible, coming to church, those are great things. You should do those. But that shouldn't be the focal point of our conversations. We don't emphasize God's transformation, not human perspiration. Don't focus on all the things you have to do but talk about what Jesus did. Talk about how he changed your life. Emphasize Jesus, not justice. Jesus without justice is ineffective. If you go to people with deep needs and you ignore them, that's not helpful. Justice without Jesus is tragic. Emphasize Jesus not justice. So many times we're focused on justice and social issues. I'm not saying we ought to ignore those, but what are we going to focus on? Number two, have you done the foolish thing and embraced Christ as your forgiver and your leader? Have you done that? Maybe you're here today and, and you're not sure if you've ever put your faith in Christ. That's what you need to do. That's maybe your next step. So here's the final question. Have you done the foolish thing and embraced Christ as your forgiver and your leader? How do I do that? This passage tells us it's for the one who believes. Placing your faith in Christ, that's what changes everything. It doesn't have to be anything formal it's just expressing your deep belief in Jesus as your savior, as your forgiver, and as your leader. And if you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins, that's enough. You and I will never be good enough. And so as you leave today, think about what does it look like to have every area of my life influenced by the cross. Let me pray with you. God in heaven, we are grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for what you're doing in our lives. And Father, today I think about those who are in Ukraine, for those who are suffering for the church. God, we think about them right now, that you would reveal your glory that you would finish that war, that you would strengthen their people, you would strengthen their army.
you would continue to give them hope and that you would supernaturally intervene into what's happening there. Father, we're also well aware of what's happening in our own world, in our own lives. Right here in New York and Pennsylvania. It's our desire that every single thing we do this week will be influenced by the cross. So we ask that you would help us to do that as we go to school, as we go to work, as we go home, as we go to our neighborhoods. Everything we do would be influenced by the cross. Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.